Welcome to the Pain-Free Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah Heller, and if there's one thing I've learned after being a fitness and health professional and a chronic pain sufferer for over a decade, it's that every body is unique. On this show, I sit down with health and wellness experts in an effort to gather as many different perspectives, journeys, and philosophies as possible. Join me in cultivating a collective growth mindset and challenge yourself to take away just one key point from each episode that inspires you to think or behave differently. Have a pain-free day and enjoy this episode. What is going on, beautiful people? Welcome back to the Pain-Free Fitness Podcast. I am super excited about today, but first I just kind of want to reiterate what the goal of every episode is. And if I had one goal for each episode of this podcast, it would be if you can just take away like one or two key insights, something that you can use to make you either a better athlete, to help cope with your pain, to make you a better trainer or a better movement professional if you are in that space, I would consider that a success. And with my guest today, I think that's going to be a really easy thing to do. Uh, Dr. Ethan Kreisworth, he earned his PhD in athletic training uh, from the Rocky Mountain University of Health Professionals in Utah. And he is the director of education for Rock Tape Global. That is how I know him. Rock Tape develops and delivers worldwide curriculum and education. Really fantastic. If you are a movement professional, highly, highly recommend looking into those courses. And uh, in the past, he's been a professor and program director for Rocky Mountain University and Concordia University, as well as CSU Dominguez Hills. And he also uh, owns his own business. So he owns Kreisworth Sports Medicine, Medicine Systems, which oversees medical handling for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu federations. And I think uh, one of the things that I'm just really, really excited to have you on, uh, one of the reasons is you're just such a good teacher and I think you articulate things so well. So Ethan, Dr. K. Welcome to the show. Wow, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I will reiterate exactly what you said. I take a lot of continuing education as well. And of course, I teach it for a living. But um, if I could just take away one or two things from that class, not 50, if I take away 50, it was the wrong course for me. And I have to basically take it like three more times, right? That was like me when I first took SFMA, when it first came out like 10 years ago. I'm like, this is way too much information. And uh, now if I take courses and it's all redundant, but it comes from a different voice at a different lens, then, hey, yeah, I know that. That fits in well into this category. That fits in well this category. Didn't know that at all. Cool. How can I basically decipher that information? I'm totally down with that. So one or three things, one or two things, definitely. 50 things, total loss. Completely like it was super redundant, then it didn't work either. So it really does have to fit that category. So thank you for the long, drawn-out um bio. I know I had to plug that. Uh, I put that in, I think, where you pulled that from Google or Rock Tape or something. So, Yep. I, uh, I Google stalked you and just kind of wrote, yeah. I mean, it's longer than that too. There's like, you have just so many credentials, which is awesome. And just a lot of experience. And I have been curious about this for a while because I know that your, your background is super interesting. So I would love to just kind of hear about a little bit about your background and what brought you to do what you do today. Yeah, I'm super lucky to be where I'm at today. Um, uh, I'm a certified athletic trainer. And for those that don't know what that is, we actually do care and prevention of athletic injuries. We typically work with athletes. Um, but now my profession has really broadened its scope. We can 
you know, auscultate lung sounds and talk about diabetes as well as tape ankles prior to the football game. And that's such a broad spectrum that people don't even know what we do unless you're within this field. So clinically, I'm an athletic trainer. Um, I got certified as an athletic trainer, which is a, a certification, it's a national certification, and it's recognized by the American Health Association and Medical Boards um, in 94, I think. So I'm 52 now. So I'm really, I'm getting up there, Maria. I'm really getting up there. So been around these parts for about 30 years or so. Um, and I've worked, you worked various things. So I've worked, you know, high schools and then I worked colleges as you read. And then I got to work some um, pro teams like minor league uh, baseball, minor league hockey and traveling with them. And then I worked uh, with um, Olympic boxing in 2012. I got to travel with them. So that's the fun stuff is I'm an athlete, right? I'm a pseudo athlete, not a pro athlete. I'm so much, I'm this athlete who just can't be professional, right? Or even at a D1 level. So what do you do? You go with them in the support staff. And I did that. And then it got, you know, it got bored. I got bored. You know, I, I you can only evaluate so many knee and ankle injuries. And I got really overwhelmed. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go pursue a, a, a graduate terminal degree. I did my PhD at Rocky Mountain. And that got me into uh, research and writing. And I still do a lot of that today. I've published on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu injuries and the epidemiology of musculoskeletal injuries within that sport. Um, because that is a very, very fast growing sport still today. Um, I'm currently working on a manuscript right now with some other people on musculoskeletal injury in that sport, because I think the public needs to know if it's safe or not. So I continue to do research, uh, but really my full time is Rock Tape and creating education for Rock Tape. And what's great about Rock Tape is Rock Tape comes from a totally different lens, right? It's not very mechanical. It's more neurosensory and biopsychosocial um, as far as how pain is construed and how we can treat it with our products. That's in a nutshell. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's a couple of things that you said that I want to go back on. Um, I think something I'm really curious about because I, I, I got my start in the CrossFit space. Like that's where I actually started my professional training and soft tissue career. And that was in 2008 or 2010. So I've seen an interesting development since then, but I worked with athletes in that space for a couple of years and um, have dabbled working with athletes since then, but I've actually discovered that I really, I, it's not really my favorite demographic to work with. <laughs> and um, I think, you know, for me, I, I would love to know, like, what is the, what is your favorite thing about kind of working with that population that performs at that level? Or I guess, what was your favorite thing about it when you were doing it more regularly? Yeah, pros and cons there, right? So the pro is these people want to get back on the field, back on the ice, back on the mat, whatever sport you're working with. The con is, is they don't stop, right? So you almost, with all your education and knowledge, it gets down to, can you go? <laughs> can you go or can you not go? If you can't go, and this is really what it came down to, after years of assessing the evaluation, it would come down to, can you go? And not can you go at 50%, because every athlete's brain is more powerful than their body, they will push no matter what. But can you go at 85 to 90% that you're effective within that sport you're playing and you're effective for that coach? And that's where, you know, myself as a support team member and the coach, can evaluate and I can say sure you can have your center midfielder or you can have your fullback or you can have this person on the mat but they're only going to be 50 percent and how good is that person at 50 percent are they better than your bench players how can you direct the team around a person who's 50 percent it doesn't work very well so that's the way I think about the cons of working with athletes 
everybody wants to work athletes. I get calls all the time. People who are not athletic trainers who are physical therapists or chiros or some type of medical doctor. And they say, Hey, I really want to work these jujitsu events with you. I'm like, sure, come on down because they are dying for that athletic experience. They want those tigers and they love working with those people instead of working with a, a different population that may not be as driven. So pros and cons with that. Yeah, absolutely. I do think there's an appeal from the outside and I know there was for me too. And I think there's the beautiful thing about the movement industry is that there's kind of a niche for everything, right? Like I have a very specific approach and now I can just kind of refer to other people who might speak an athlete's language a little bit better. And I don't have to kind of try to force myself into that niche. Um, but you know, something that I thought was really interesting when I was working with that community, and this comes up a lot in the chronic pain community too, but I think because I can relate to it firsthand, it's not as taxing on me, but there was a lot of psychological help like that I was offering, you know, kind of on the side <laughs> with the athletic community, because it is, it, it is heartbreaking when you kind of lose the ability to do that thing that kind of defines you. So do you find uh, that in your work as well? A lot of psychological yeah. piece. Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about that in rock tape is, you know, if you look at the Venn diagram of understanding pain and the aspect of pain <clears throat> mechanically, is what's causing you pain, right? So that's the mechanical. So a Venn diagram would be three circles that all uh, intersect in the string in the middle, right? So you have uh, mechanical pain, then you have psychological pain, and then you have sociological issues. And you know, if somebody is hurt uh, acutely, let's say they tear their ACL or rupture something or something bad, and they have an inflammation process. That's all the mechanical pain side. And we have to get through that six to eight weeks or three months. But as that person continually sits out of their sport, that's a big sociological factor. Or they sit out of CrossFit or they sit out of Jiu-Jitsu or they sit out of some sport. The sociological bubble becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And the psychological bubble becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. So now the mechanical bubble is small and, and psychosocial are much bigger that can also drive pain as we continue to learn about pain and now pain is also affective and emotional. It's a driver of pain. And what's interesting about pain is the longer you stay in pain, the more you'll develop these things called neurotags. And these neurotags are in your brain and they develop information related to pain. So people will say, oh, pain is just in your brain. Well, th there's a part of that that's true, but we still have to talk about the mechanical aspect. And if we can control the mechanical aspect of pain, and also get them through. So here's, a, here's an example. When I was working with athletes, 100% uh, of the time, I wouldn't just work them in the athletic training room. I would take them out to the field so they could be with the team. We would stretch with the team, even though they couldn't be with the team as far as full practice, I would still work with them when they're with the team. So sociologically, that helps, right? Psychologically, that definitely helps. So you integrate them and continue to integrate them and do things that they could be integrated in within their sport. Instead of the opposite would be keep them in the athletic training clinic, right? They're in the tub, they're on the ice and they're just, they're with the quote injured people and they don't want to be in that group. So learning how to integrate. And I know physical therapy offices do this very well now where they'll have a, their workout gym and in the PT office, you know, this is more of the high level um, athletic situations, but they'll have glass. So now they can see through what they're doing, right? So they're not so separate. So we need to learn how to integrate people that are in pain and can't play full-time sport until we get them back to full-time sport. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I would be 
interested to know kind of the, the similarities and differences here. So when I'm working with someone in a group setting and they have some kind of a chronic issue and they are not a competitive athlete because I don't really work with that demographic. For me, it feels like there's a lot of hope there because there is always something else that we can do that at the very least keeps them moving. Um, and if they're in some kind of a major flare up, then there's always something that we can do that at least kind of keeps them feeling like they've made some kind of progress that day. But I feel like with the athlete community, there's a lot more weight and a lot more pressure, like you said, on being able to perform a specific thing as opposed to just saying, well, let's figure out all the other options that we can work with. So how do you deal with that? Or how do you recommend kind of new movement professionals deal with that dilemma? Yeah, that's really hard. You know, I mean, like I said, integrating them, integrating them in with the sport or the team, even though they're fully injured, um, it needs to be it needs to be paramount, right? Because psychosocially, that's going to be effective for them. Yeah. Um, but like you said, there there should be for every progression, there should be a regression. Yeah. So the 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 most minimal regression would be laying on your back or stomach and breathing, yeah. right? So there's your minimal regression, and it can only go up from there. So what else can they do? Can they be involved in warmups? If they can't be involved in warmups, can you take gravity out? And now they could be involved in warmups, but they're just not standing on two feet. They're doing something else that may be, may be similar to warmups. So you really, you have to be creative. You really do have to be creative. So working with the athlete is tough because they're, I mean, I'm an athlete myself. I just ruptured my biceps tendon um, oh, that about three weeks ago, right? And now I can't do jiu-jitsu, although I'm going tonight. Right. So I spent one week being in a sling and now, you know, I'm so functional that I can do some stuff in jujitsu. So I put my hand in the belt. And so that hand is nullified. And now I can just play with this arm. So you have to be creative on what you can do and you have to be willing. That's the biggest thing is athlete versus non-athlete. A lot of non-athletes are not willing, whereas a lot of athletes are over willing. So there's kind of that contrast I talked about before. And you as a clinician, or the person interpreting the exercise need to know where that line is and how far you can push them or how far you have to push them. So it's kind of a constant yin and yang on where you're going to position your patient and your athlete. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've talked about that a little bit before about how I, you know, I think all of us tend to get people that are on opposite ends of the spectrum. It's very rare that you have someone, and I don't think any of us are, are truly balanced either, but it's very rare that you have someone that just kind of walks a really perfect kind of moderate line. Um, I have, I have had a couple of those, but it's rare and it's usually, okay, this is someone who I can just tell from my initial assessment with them that I'm going to have to, you know, continue to pull them back a little bit in a way that doesn't make them distrust me. And then there's, you know, the other side of it, and they might be just totally discouraged. And, you know, we see this a lot, maybe with more of our chronic pain or people that are acutely injured, maybe for the first time, I see this a lot where they just think that nothing, they have no options. And they're like, well, I'll start, I'll start moving once my back starts to feel better, you know, yep. And yep. that's not I a have, good, not a good mindset. I have a few of those patients right now. So I treat part-time out of my house. Yeah. Uh, and I have a few of those patients where once something hurts, they think that everything can be shut down. But, you know, if one appendage hurts, you have three, three other appendages and, you know, your central spinal engine, your core to do a lot of your work. You still can work out very well, just have to be careful on the one appendage. If it's your low back, I, I understand that. But, you know, regressing 
to dead bugs and you know breathing and, and crawling or things just the things to gain their safety and I think that's the biggest thing is learning that these patients can feel safe because we know there's there's relationships with feeling safe right in your brain and being able to move uh, better and freer and more uh, just more flowing and when you don't feel safe then you tend to want to hold on and grasp and you know even muscles will tend to contract or stay in spasm and it's just the idea of feeling safe so a lot of people talk about feeling safe and um, you know explain pain which you can never have a pain conversation without quoting uh, Butler and Mosley at a you know, the physiotherapist out of Australia talking about feeling safe, right, in the lower centers of your brain. So it's really, really important. And if people can start there and understand why they're having pain, and even understand what pain is, is a great start. So sometimes it may just start with some video education. Here is a video regarding how people experience pain. It's a five minute video, and there's a plethora of them on YouTube. That could be, it could start there. And that could really break down so many misnomers and myths that they've had from a lifetime, right? Of parents telling them what pain is, right? Or some practitioners telling what pain is, but breaking down those barriers and, edu and educating your patient is the start. So mm -hmm. even before you get them on their back and breathe and try to have them relax, maybe they just get educated on, on a one sheet, right? They like reading or a, a short five minute video. There's so many of them out there to explain pain now. That's a, a really, really good idea. I actually have never done that. I have several drills I have my clients go through, but I haven't done that with anyone yet. And I think that would be a great, a great thing to do. Yeah. Well, how many times, let me ask you, how many times have people contacted you and asked you about this body part or this injury or what can I do for this, right? Those, those you know, five second things that would add up to $50 million by now and you keep on giving oh, yeah. out free education. So yeah. I have like, you know, five things that, are just like click here go here and you understand this concept and then then we can work together or you know you have also have to value yourself right um so what's interesting this is kind of an offshoot but i was treating out of my i treat out of my garage in my house and um a neighbor was driving by and he saw me treating somebody and i don't know this neighbor that well yet he's new and about three hours later i get a knock on my door and it's this guy i don't really know him that well and he comes kind of say, hey, I saw you working on somebody in your, in your garage. Is that what you do? I said, yeah, I work on people, you know, try to help them through their pain or discomfort or, dis or uh, dysfunction. And then he starts to say, well, I have this pain right here. He's standing on my front porch, mind you. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's interesting. Uh, why don't you set up a time and date and give me your yeah. email and I'll email you my, uh, you know, my, my rates and when I work. And then he looked at me cockeyed like, you're charging me? I'm like, yeah, bro, I'm charging you. I value myself and I value what I do. And this is my profession. I'm not going to, you know, porch diagnose you right here as you point to your SI joint or somewhere yeah. in the back of your body. Um, so yeah. maybe another conversation, but valuing yourself is so important these days because myself and maybe you get a, at least five texts a day asking about it. I've been on the phone twice today with friends because they're my friends about their injuries, right? So it's like, of course, friends get the free stuff. But after that, I mean, come on, you got to value yourself. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I have absolutely experienced that. I was joking with a physician friend of mine and he gets it. I mean, 10 times as worse mm -hmm. than I do, but, um, 
yeah, I mean, you know, you tell someone even that you're just in the fitness industry and it's like, oh, here's the program I'm doing. Let me show you this detailed thing. What do you think? Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, what's, the, yeah. what's the best exercise for my yeah. core? Like, oh, no. <laughs> you want me to tell you the best exercise? What does that even mean? What's the best right. exercise? Right. What do you, you know? think about keto? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's nonstop. And they, people yeah. want to pick your brain. And I know you've talked to Shantae a million times. Yeah. You know, she said it very well about valuing yourself and, you know, picking your, I think she had a post about picking your brain and that one was key. It's like, yeah, let, you get the post or you get the DM and says, can I pick your brain for a second? Like, no, you, you can't fucking pick my brain for a second. Sorry. <laughs> you know, you don't say it like that, but it's like, yeah. where does it stop? You know, hey. where does it stop? So absolutely. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And if you are a movement professional or even just like a new trainer listening to this, I think that's really important. Um, <laughs> And so just <laughs> jot that down, guys. If that's the one takeaway, <laughs> that's a good yeah, right. so I don't want to be mean. But may, maybe you offer something. I, I mean, I yeah. know I need I need information from other people too. So yeah. you know, I can offer stuff if you have stuff to offer. But uh, yeah. everyone's trying to learn. I mean, you know, yeah. this is a informational society. Yeah. And we're all trying to learn. And that's why you're doing this podcast. You yeah. know, people get to learn from you and, and I get to learn from you. And then people get to learn from me. So it's constant sharing of information. Mm-hmm. You know, so how much of it should be free and how much of it can you value yourself and actually, you know, make a living at what we do, which is very hard to do, right? Yeah. I'm super lucky to be where I'm at with rock tape. Um, you know, and I didn't even finish that story, but, you know, after years of working as an athletic trainer, I was work. I was I just finished my PhD with who was the, the director of education, which is a position I'm in now and said, Hey, we're starting this education thing with a company called rock tape are you interested and i said well i'll I'll sit in and listen to what you have to say and that's how it kind of all started now i sit in that position so it is about knowing people and you know reaching out and you know you know with social media you can reach out and be friends with some of the people who you love to follow you know and have conversations with them so and that's where we are here today right yes yeah yes absolutely no that's really really valuable insight Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of rock tape, one of the things that I think is my favorite thing and why I will take pretty much every rock tape course, I think I've taken all of them that are for humans. I know there's some for horses. I haven't taken those yet. Mm-hmm. I might for fun, who knows? But um, I, I think something that I really, really like about the curriculum and that I've had a hard time finding elsewhere is the perception aspect. And I have you know, for my business, I have kind of a model that has a pyramid and at the bottom of the pyramid, perception is first and it has been for years. It's perception and then body awareness and then stability, mobility, and movement. I love that. I love and that. Yeah. And it's, it's tough to get people to understand that, but, um, yeah. You, you alluded to it by talking about, you know, the safety piece. So can you talk to me a little bit about how perception does play into pain on the chronic or the acute level? Yeah, I would say, you know, there's all these, I'll call them satellite systems of your body. I mean, we in Rock Tape, we talk about skin being one satellite system, meaning that what you feel, even the aura, if people can't see me, I'm rubbing my hand over my forearm right now with space, I can sense that, right? Just from even barely touching body hair or not, but that that body awareness and body space is big, but your biggest satellite system is your eyes. And, you know, what comes in visually, if you have vision, um, can change all your perceptions in the world, right? So if you're experiencing pain um, and you have to go pick up, you know, a money bag in a 
beautiful poppy field that's just gorgeous and you know there's some villains behind you you can probably do that kind of with ease compared to walking down a very dark alley and all of a sudden you have a lot of threat so a lot of people talk about threat and threat comes through your senses eyes i think are the biggest one and there's a lot of people who are now driving visual work hearing work vestibular work as well as neurosensory work like we do um, to mitigate pain and understand perception so if you had a very bad day driving one hour, um, one hour in traffic to see me and you got into some road rage issues, I guarantee your pain is gonna be more by the time you get to me. <laughs> your low back pain is gonna be more because you had a very bad perception and experience coming to where I treat, right? Comparing to maybe it was just all roses and beautiful and your pain just less. I mean, those things have a lot of information to your body, your brain, which is your governor, your brain is your governor and the neuromuscular system follows. So if we can control the brain as far as thoughts, awareness, perceptions, we may be able to mitigate pain. Not to say that pain isn't on the body too, because we have something called nociception, but there's other ways to experience or mitigate pain through the awarenesses, like you said. Now, let me say this really quick about the animal rock tape. If you can have an outcome with tape or tools on a horse and that horse changes its position, posture, and gait, then I'm throwing down the microphone, right? And Wendy, Co Wendy Cohen, I think Wendy Cohen, one of our active instructors for, for the animal, equine, will show you she can change her horse's gait based on the way she throws her tool down on them or tape. Now that's just that's just crazy, right? Because as humans, we want to believe, right? So that helps with the outcome. That definitely helps. If, if, I, if you say I'm a good instructor and you buy into my thought process, then the outcome is going to be favorable typically, right? Whereas if I was a jerk and you just didn't understand it and you were there for a taping class, this stuff is not going to work. So it really is the buy-in, right? And those, that buy-in comes in through all your interpretation, all your senses. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 No, I mean, that's... It's huge. And I think it's, I'm really excited about the direction that that research is going. And I hope more and more people adopt it. And something that I'd like to explain to a lot of my clients, especially if they're stuck in somewhat of a disaster mindset is, you know, if you have, if I have two clients that come to me and they have the exact same injury, let's just say physically, everything's exactly the same. And one person is focused on all of the things that they've lost you know, I can't do this anymore. I used to love to do this. I can't do that. All I can do is lay down all of this stuff, right? It's terrible. But then client B is, you know, okay. Yeah. My knee hurts. Like I can do all these other things. And just kind of the way that they talk about it, I would bet one person is feeling physically a higher level of pain than the other. And it's whoever kind of is talking more negatively about it. Um, do you feel like that is still kind of an accurate assessment? And is that something you see in your yeah. practice? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I'll just go to my son, who's he's 10 years old. I can't really treat him that well, um, <laughs> but he has some anxious issues, right? So that may, you know, give him negative thoughts. So we'll just work on breathing. And, you know, because he doesn't understand the concept of breathing when he was younger, I would put like a little matchbox car on his stomach, right? And I say, I want you to bring the matchbox car as high as possible. Then I want you to breathe out and bring that matchbox car down as low as you can, as low as you can, then bring it back up. Now push it up fast and push it down slow. Just 
But that's all aspects of just trying to decrease anxiety, which would decrease his negative thoughts because he has a lot of negative thoughts. That's the same for adults. Adults have those negative thoughts. And I think we need to find out, you know, what is the goal? You know, if your patient comes in and they, they're a golfer and their goal is to rotate without any pain, well, then we need to start. That's the goal. So how can we now take that apart and not mechanically, but we take that apart and we put them on the ground and we start doing some treatment on the ground in rotation, right? And then we put them in quadruped and then we treat them with tape tools, pods, cups, whatever you want to do in rotation. And you tell them, say, look, we are rotating because that is the main goal, the main uh, variable of golf. We are rotating right now. Let's just call him Jeff. We're rotating Jeff. So we give him safety and we give him positive thought as we're treating rotation just without any gravity. And we slowly build him up from there. And yeah. then we're still treating in rotation as we get him to just being bipedal. Yeah. So, you know, and that's the aspect of progressing. And then if we have any discomfort, and I don't even use the word pain, I'll say discomfort, because pain is just, just gained such a negative term and the term chronic pain, right? So you change that term to persistent pain. And you take away terms like homework. And I say, did you do your fun? Did you have fun this week? Which means, did you do your homework this week? So you start taking away the nomenclature and the, the words that tend to ping, you know, negative thought processes. And yeah. we do stuff like that, right? Progress to regress, change the nomenclature, focus on what's positive. But there's going to be those days when the person's in complete pain. So what do we do? We may just kibosh it all. And that happens. That yeah. happens. So the people that post on you know Instagram that say they took this this guy who couldn't move his leg to now he's playing basketball the same day, you know who knows what's going on there. We can't base our clients on that stuff, and we see that all the time. People only post their wins, right? Yeah. And I've had I've definitely questioned my ability of uh, being a clinician a million times over. I'm like, gosh, am I giving this guy any justice, or am I really helping this person? And sometimes it's just talking to him that helps them to get them through. You know, yeah, it may just be a light, light, you know, PNF day, you know, or light, light activation day. It may just be a breathing day, you know, yeah. those days happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's really exactly how I work. And, and part of, I think part of how I developed the system of kind of, um, I don't, I don't like to use regression. I also don't like to use modification. I like to say enhancement because <laughs> it just makes me feel better. You know, um, speaking of language, just like you're talking about, but the way I've kind of developed those enhancements is because I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and it took me about 12 years from the onset of symptoms to get diagnosed. And it's a very interesting disorder, like, especially for the type that I have, it's like, sometimes you feel somewhat normal. And then you've got these 10 day flare ups sometimes where you can't even, you know, look up, like I have to look down at my feet for like days at a time, because it just, wow. it's just painful, you know, but there was something about getting a, getting a, the diagnosis of Ehlers-Danlos. And I know this sounds weird, but it was actually a huge relief because I recognized that part of the reason I felt so negatively about my pain was that I was expecting to wake up every day and feel different. Like I was just expecting for it to go away one day. And then when I got the diagnosis, it was like, Oh, like, this is just something I have to work with. So, you know, you start to develop those coping mechanisms and working on, you know, 90, 90 breathing or whatever it is on those days when I can't really move that well. And 
Yeah, it's hugely. Well, be, and could it have been that now you have a diagnosis? Now I understand where I'm starting from. Now I can reach out to other people who have the condition, yeah. support, soci sociological, right, changes, right? Now I have, I have a foundation of how I can get better. And yeah. that's good. Instead of being an N of one, being in the dark and not really knowing why I feel this way, which is very alone, which is very threatening. So yeah. it all seems to play in the part of the biopsychosocial pain. Yeah. And some people just don't like to talk about biopsychosocial pain. They just can't believe it. And then there's people who only talk about biopsychosocial pain. You know, so so I always put myself in the middle. I'm very centrist in everything in life, <laughs> from yeah. politics to religion to to my professional, my professionality. But it is. It's it's very it's very in the center. So. It, it's, it's hard to understand, but I think if you give yourself a window of, you know, being on both ends of the spectrum, you can be positive and definitely have some outcomes with the patient. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know we're, we're running kind of short on time, but I have kind of one other question that I want to ask you before we get into some more of the rapid fire stuff. But I was just kind of curious. Um, it seems like there has been especially in the last few years, I think kind of the Jocko Willink and David Goggins and, you know, Matt Scarfo, who I had on the show, some other people like that, who very much feel that pain really doesn't matter. I mean, at least that's what they project to the world. Um, do you have any kind of thoughts on that stance? I think it's interesting, but what do you think about it? An N of one. I get that question all the time. Okay. Know? An N of one, meaning that they are the outlier. Yeah. So I read, I read David's book, great book. I found it very motivating. Um, yeah. I, I think I think like him, uh, I'm not at his level. The power and the N of one, if you read David's book and you read the history he's been through, right? I mean, I almost like when I worked with boxing, the history of what these kids have been through to get as good as I got, I could never be there because I, was, I wasn't raised like that. Right. I was raised extremely loving in a two parent home and, you know, so much love made me soft. I don't know. But I mean, some people have extreme backgrounds that made made them so tough to persevere and, you know, have so much so much uh, resolve in their life. I, I don't have an answer. I wish I did. I wish I had an answer. But they are the end of one, just like just like uh, Kobe Bryant was the end of one. He was just that good, that much better. Right. Some people are just that much better than everybody else and they can get, it would be, it'd be great to see some of those guys, you know, and evaluate them every 10 years, right? And what they're going to be like at 80, are they the same yeah. or are they completely broken? You know, mentally they'll be the same, but then physically who knows what their body's going to look like, you know, or feel like. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I wish when you find out the answer, please let me know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. jujitsu in jujitsu, we we have a lot of that. We have people that are just straight beasts, right? Yeah. And like I said, I'm 52 now, and I've had multiple surgeries and multiple injuries, and I still seem to you know persevere fairly well. So I would never put myself in those guys' category, but for the most time, usually when people get hurt, they kind of quit the sport, you know, yeah. and that's out of being scared too. So I think you know, be able to kind of regress and have fun at what you do and, you know, be a part. Cause I know I can't be a, I, I'm not 18 anymore and I can't be that part anymore, but I definitely can become involved. Right. And that helps me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, kind of the underlying theme of what, of what you're saying that I'm hearing is does, does the approach work for you? Like, does it get you to the goal you want to get to? And if it does, cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what is your goal? 
Yeah. Yeah. We go back to that. What is your why? What is your goal? Whatever phrase you want to use, but um, that's extremely helpful to, to persevere through the day and, you know, having support. That's why I think CrossFit and jujitsu, you know, have done so well because community, you know, you're, you're held responsible by your community and they're like, Hey, why didn't you come to class today? Or, you know, why aren't you here today? And I think individual sports are very hard to, to carry over the, the literature actually supports that. Um, I did a thesis on understanding individual sports versus team sports because team sports, I'm sorry, individual sports seem to last a lot longer, whereas you played soccer or basketball at a club or a high school level, there you, know, you can play some weekend warrior stuff, but you can involve yourself every single day. Whereas an individual climbing, cycling, uh, jiu-jitsu, CrossFit, you can take and carry that over for such a long time for, yeah. for you know, long health. So it's important. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's super interesting. I, I grew up as a martial artist and a dancer and just was never great with team sports, but I, I can definitely see the, that there's a benefit to both. But I think one of the most important things it taught me is that like, if I just need to depend on myself to do something, I can. <laughs> I can. That's good because I, I can't. Yes, that's a really good dichotomy. I have to be involved because obviously I talk a lot and that's my job is to talk a lot. So I have to be involved in some type of community, cycling, uh, uh, crossfitting, or, you know, jujitsu, of course, that is my go-to and that motivates me. If I have to go out and ride my bike alone or go to the gym alone and everyone's at the gym on their iPhone and looking in the mirror, I'm like, I just, I just can't, I can't, I gotta go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. works for you. That's a good thing. You found what is your what works. is your why? What's your purpose? I guess right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And what what gets you there? What if you know if you're making a decision, does it take you closer to that or further away from that? Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely you know good days and bad days. I have some very you know bad days where I'm just unmotivated. You know, but for the most part, I, I tend to motivate fairly well. But I know a lot of people, just like you were saying with Ayla Danlos, you get, you know, you're in pain, you get very unmotivated and you, you start grasping for the lowest common denominator in the straws. And what can I do right now to get me better? And we see those patients all the time. It's like, what can you do to get me better now? You know, it's like, well, it's going to be a process. And then we can talk about the process. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's a hard thing to teach someone else. I don't think I've successfully taught kind of the long game to anyone without them really, you know, learning it on their own. (laughs) And getting very frustrated with the process and me multiple times over the course of that. <laughs> yeah, but the good thing is that you've been through it and you, you yeah. go through it. It is yeah. your life. Pain and you know persistent pain conditions or persistent discomfort conditions are yeah. part of your life. So you resonate and you have empathy. Whereas, you know, I've had multiple surgeries, now multiple, you know, tendon tears. I can resonate. And when I cover these jujitsu events or I'm teaching rock tape, and they're talking about some injury, I've probably had some sort of that injury already. So that, that, you know, you get a strong bond with your client or your patient that way, if you actually experience what they experience. And I think that's so important. You know, people seeing some very young physicians these days for all types of conditions, and they've never experienced, right? So that personal experience is very important in my, in my thought process, you know, so. I 100% agree. And I I have thought for a long time that that's part of the reason a lot of people get uh, scared away from kind of the fitness industry as well, or kind of just generally like the CrossFit community or anything like that is that, you know, natural athletes tend to become trainers or coaches and they just don't understand. And once you have an experience like that, where someone just doesn't empathize with you at all and you're in pain, it's really tough to go back into that environment. 
Yeah, you tend to go to the clinician who may not know as much potentially, or maybe not have all the big degrees, but they've been through it. And that's so big right there. So I don't care if you have a PhD or you're a doctor or you're a physical therapist at Cairo. If you've been through it, then I want to talk to you, right? I just was talking to somebody with this ruptured bicep who's an athlete who I've treated on the mats before at um, big jiu-jitsu tournaments. He's not any type of clinician or body worker, but he's been through a lot of the injuries I have and he's close to my same age. Yeah. I talk to him more than I talk to my, my other clinic, clinical friends because they've been through it, you know? Yeah. So, Patient values or personal values are they they're strong. They're strong. And I think now, you know, everybody has everyone's treating in some manner, right? And there's a lot of people who look down upon that. Like they may look down upon you for being a massage therapist. And they may look down upon me because I'm an only an athletic trainer, you know, compared to a DPT or a chiropractor or, or a medical doctor. Yeah. But I tell you what, if you can resonate with that person, right? And you can talk to them and talk their language, they will trust you. And that's some that's the start. That's mm. definitely the start. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. So before we get into four more kind of main questions that I have, the rapid fire questions, I do want to just ask you, where can people find you online? And do you have anything that you're, you know, promoting at the moment? Yeah, so uh, I am with Rock Tape. Um, so you can just email me at Ethan, E-T-H-A-N, at rocktape.com. Those are, you know, if you have questions, and I'll try to get back with you. Um, my social media is like a, it's like a hodgepodge of family, dogs, bike riding, jujitsu, and sports medicine. So I'm definitely not one of the biggest social media guys uh, on our, on our rock tape team compared to, you know, uh, Tim and, and uh, Shantae and all these people. But you can find me at Dr. Christworth, so dr. K-R-E-I, and my name should pop up. So Dr. Christworth, I should change that because no one knows how to find that. Um, I keep my Facebook stuff for family typically. So with, you know, Instagram is like the, the show off channel. So I post there once in a while. Yeah. Um, as far as my, my LLC, that's called Christworth Sports Medicine. So I, I direct um, large athletic training groups or sports medicine groups to cover a very large jiu-jitsu tournament. So jiu-jitsu, like I said, has been one of the fastest growing sports over the last 10 years, uh, just with a huge increase in viewership as well as uh, people wanting to participate in the sport. So um, I used to cover these events in the late 90s as an athlete myself and cover the events and just trade you know, my services for registration fees to fight. Now we cover these events there. You know, We have one or two events a month all across the nation where I'm always looking for athletic trainers. So if you have questions about that and want to work and you hold the, the, the right credentials, then we can look into that too. So you can find me somewhere on Facebook too at Ethan Christworth. That's amazing. Yeah. And highly recommend if you're an athletic trainer listening, um, Ethan is also just a really good mentor, really good teacher. So um, great person to learn from. And um, that sounds like a really good opportunity. So thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, it is fun. You know, athletic injuries in jujitsu uh, come fast and furious. I mean, I've reduced or relocated probably every single joint in the body other than the hip these days, even a mandible. So, you know, it's, it's crazy, crazy stuff. And that's why I think people want to come watch jujitsu because, you know, ACL tears, uh, joint dislocations, everything that, you know, you study for, you know, I mean, I've I had plenty of uh, medical doctors that will come sit with me on the mats because we know we're going to see some pretty significant injuries of that weekend compared to you may not see any of these injuries at any time. 
So in order to assess an ACL or a torn labrum or, you know, a concussion or, you know, a dislocation of the elbow, you know, anything, you have to see it and keep your hands on it. And you see that in jiu-jitsu a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's value in just like getting, getting practice with a lot of bodies. Like yeah, that's, that's, that's huge. Getting yeah. your reps in. Getting your reps in. That's right. <laughs> awesome. All right. So before we go, I have four questions that I ask everyone. I call them the rapid fire questions, but you can take as long as you want to answer each one. Um, are you it. ready? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for it. All right. So the first one is, uh, what do you feel is currently the biggest lie or common misconception in the movement or physical therapy industries? Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I'll just take it. Let me just take it to tape really quick. Cause I work with tape. You know, I try to, when I talk about tape, I just try to demystify tape, you know, colors don't mean anything. Origin to insertion doesn't really mean anything. It's just tape. I mean, you can put duct tape on somebody to have an outcome because it's sensory awareness. Uh, you just can't move very well through duct tape and it'll probably hurt your skin. So tape is a big, huge misnomer and it's been around for so long now and people think it doesn't work and some people live by it. So I think just explaining and demystifying why tape works and that's through sensory awareness and your skin is your largest organ. So, you know, you would know when somebody touches you, that's just like tape, you know, whether you like it or not is the, is the question to be asked and answered. So, um, as far as movement science, you know, our bodies were meant to move. And I think, you know, there's still clinicians out there that love to treat on the table. And I'm going to steal this from Shantae and she stole it from somebody else, but no one gets better on the table. You know, so we can do all the manipulative work we want on the table, whether we're, you know, ranging somebody, stretching somebody, mobbing somebody, whatever the case we're doing, but they have to get off the table and get their brain kind of activated with that new range of motion. So if you made somebody feel better on the table, they need to move in order to integrate that new movement pattern, that awareness of that joint. Every joint in your body, in my opinion, is a mini brain. So if I gained range in your hip, right, or somewhere in your lumbopelvic area, you need to get off the table, whether it's on the floor, then work your way up and do a lot of the movement patterns to integrate that newfound range of motion. I think that's really important. Whereas people still treat on the table, stay on the table, then they get off the table and they, they go home. Right. And maybe they experience some discomfort because they didn't really integrate the mind body connection. So I think that's important. So, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that concept is one of the main reasons I stopped performing manual therapy on people. Um, you know, first I kind of started to learn more about rock tape and I have the, I have the combination of trainer and manual therapist, so I can do quite a bit with people, but, um, I, real, I started to learn that I could do an hour of like the deepest deep tissue ever on someone, or I could do maybe some light feathering or some tape, or, you know, we could take them through just like some movement that maybe they weren't used to and get pretty much the same results and maybe even better. Yeah. And, you know, there's a little bit of, um, there's definitely kind of a learning experience in that. It's like, all right, yeah. this, this means a lot. This is important. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it all has its place, you know, deep tissue yeah. or soft tissue all has its place. And yeah. it also depends on the client you're working with. You know, yeah. I almost, I always tell people this too, is people say, you know, how much soft tissue should you do or how much stretching should you do? And, you know, I always, I always give the patient a little bit of what they want because yeah. that's buy-in, right? Because I've had plenty of time people come in when I worked in an office and you would tell me what to do and I wouldn't do any of it. And I may not have the outcomes because they needed that buy-in. So give them a little bit of what you want and the majority is what you think they need 
And I think that creates a really good bond right there. Because if you just say no to their needs, even though it may be wrong, um, you can still kind of do a little bit of what they want. And that helps with the buy-in aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to make them feel like whatever they are wanting is the wrong thing or they're stupid for wanting that or And that happens all the time, right? Yeah. That happens all the time. Yeah. You need to listen, right? Listening to your patients is important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What was the best advice you ever received regarding your fitness or wellness? Hmm. Best advice, uh, take it slow. And I'm not very good at that. <laughs> uh, you know, getting, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, addicted to exercise and um, whether it's a good or bad addiction, but it's, it's a big addiction and I'm not very good at taking time off. And my, when I turned 50, I took a lot of blood work and talked to my physiologist who I, you know, is a very well-known guy um, that works with NASA and Red Bull. And he really knows his stuff. And he said, Ethan, you are going to be more fit if you just don't do intensity every day. And I don't know how to do that. Everything mm-hmm. I do is intense. And that's just the addiction to exercise. Yeah. And I feel if I don't get intensity in that I'm missing out or I'm going to be out of shape for the next day. And, yeah. you know, I need to listen to his advice more. Um, because I'm not a pro athlete, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a guy who loves to exercise really hard. And I do have my, do have my personal goals, but I need to listen to that more because the older I get, you know, the more injuries come and age is a risk factor, you know, so I need to pay attention, not just for tissue injuries, but basically for my nervous system, you know, that intensity doesn't need to be met every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a hard lesson to learn too. <laughs> I don't think I would have learned it if I didn't like have to, but it's, it's really tough. Yeah. Taking two days off is like, what? No way. Take two days off. Yeah. (laughs) Even with this, this, you know, busted bicep, you know, I, I took a, you know, a week off. Yeah. Where normally this would be a three month injury. I'm, you know, finding other things to do. Right. I'll always find a way. I'll always find a way, but you know, taking, you know, a week off, you know, was a lot for me. It was a lot for me. Maybe it would have been benefited more if I took more time off. Sure, sure. All right. What's something that you used to preach to your, I don't know, patients, clients, trainees uh, that you no longer advocate for? Gee, <laughs> that's everything, right? Yep. So the, older, the older I get, the less I know. So yeah. when, I, when I went back to my studies and, and completed my terminal degree, um, I was questioned on every, I, I questioned myself on everything. I had to relearn so much stuff on, you know, the mechanical in the brain, right? It's like I learning about the brain and the nervous system um, really changed up so many things on on how I treat and how I treat myself now and the way I feel injuries and the way I, you know, uh, assess other people in their injuries. So, you know, less is more. We use that a lot in rock tape is, you know, as an athletic trainer, I would, you know, drag bodies across the table and I would drive my elbows into everybody. And, you know, if if that patient got off the table and there was a, you know, the whole table was filled with sweat. I was so proud of myself for kicking his ass on the table. You know, look what I did to you. Right. I made you sweat. And now I know that that was just a heavy, heavy over-treatment and their nervous system basically couldn't handle what I was doing to them. So watching them sweat, looking their eyes and, you know, driving my hand so deep into them that they, they scream and yell. And I thought that was a treatment. Right. And now we know that that's not the treatment where less could be more, you know, and getting better outcomes. So that took years. Yeah. And it still takes years. It still takes time because you have patients that want to drive 
the clinical practice. Like, Ethan, can you just put your elbow in my butt right here? Just drive it in their heart. It's like, I could. I definitely could, you know, but can we try some of these other alternative things and see if we get the same outcome? So Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's tough to break that too. You know, if you tie the outcome to that thing instead of, you know, seeing the outcome as the outcome, I think that's that's a big problem for people. Yeah. yeah, it takes a lot to learn. And that's still taught today, right? And maybe there's a there's a space for that at times, you know, but most clinical practice degrees teach some pretty, you know, pretty invasive stuff as far as hands and there may be a space for it, but they, they still aren't talking a lot about the nervous system and how it reacts to injury and treatment, you know? So hopefully, you know, over time it will, at least within this country, right? I, I think so. I think, I think Rock Tape is doing a good job at making some strides toward that. Um, all right, last question. What is your favorite quote and why? Ah, oh, geez. Uh, okay, I'm gonna quote somebody who's not very well liked, Lance Armstrong. Okay. Um, you know, pain is temporary. Uh, quitting is forever. <laughs> so, you know, I, I love to ride bikes and I know riding bikes uphill and riding bikes fast with groups is extremely uncomfortable. And, you know, you just got to know how to channel that kind of sweet pain versus bitter pain, bitter pain. And, you know, when you exercise, there's both, there's sweet pain, pain that you can tolerate. And then there's bitter pain that you're actually getting hurt and trying to decipher that. But I'm not much of a quitter. Uh, it's very hard for me to quit. And maybe I should at certain times, but I try to teach that and instill that in my children that, you know, quitting's really not, quitting is not really an option, you know, for the most part, just, just see it through. It doesn't need to be painful, but just see it through, right? Getting that persistency in life. So pain is temporary, quitting is forever. Lance Armstrong, yes, a failed doper in cycling, but, you know, one, three, one, seven tours, excuse me, while everyone else doped too. So yes. He, he, did, uh, he did some good he, things. Yeah, he's, he's a jackass, right? I mean, if you listen to his podcast, which I do, uh, he's still a jackass, but uh, he has some good, some good stuff in there, right? So. And what I heard from that quote as well, and just something I think that's important to point out, is that there's a lot of different ways not to quit, too. Um, you know, to me, the definition of quitting is just not doing anything that moves me forward in any way. And so it doesn't necessarily mean you have to push through that thing, but, you know, figure out something that makes you feel successful. I love that. Yeah. There's always alternatives. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was awesome. I wish I have so many more questions for you, but we're uh, out of time. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And I really appreciate it. We will link up all of your social media and website and everything in the show notes. Um, and thank you for coming and hanging out with me today. That, yeah, that was fun. I appreciate your time. Thanks. Of course. All right. All right, guys, have a pain-free day and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening today. I'd really appreciate it if you could like, subscribe, and leave a review on the podcast so that more people can hear us in the future. Have a pain-free day.